My name is Pastor Annika, and I am so glad that you are with us this morning, whether here in person or online, joining us from your living room or wherever you are. It is good to be together. A few announcements to start off. Um, the service day that was supposed to take place yesterday at Healing Heart Hospitality House did get rained out. It turned out okay yesterday, but the fence that we were supposed to paint is wooden and rather soggy. And so we will be having that service day next, this coming Saturday, um, October 24th. In all the announcements, it's said October 25th. That is the Sunday. Apparently, I cannot do math. 17 plus 7 is 24. So we are meeting on Saturday, October 24th, not the 25th. Um, but we would love to have you come out and join us. Same time, same place, 9.30 to 2 o'clock at the Healing Heart Hospitality House in Worcester. This morning, we are excited to have a check-in from Pastor Matthew. He is in the process of packing and wanted to say hi. So we're going to hear from him for just a moment. Oh, it's you. Hi. Hello, Pleasant Street. This is Pastor Matthew. I hope that uh, all of you are well today in church, whether you are tuning in to this video uh, in person in the sanctuary or online. I was just finishing up a few things here in the office, and well, actually, to be honest, there's been a lot to finish up. But I want to take a moment to say hi and let you know a little bit about how things are going here in our neck of the woods. So we are getting excited to see all of you, and uh, in the meantime, there has been a lot of work to do. But you know that because many of you have been helping on your end to get a life set up for all of us. And so thank you to you as a congregation and to the many of you in particular have been so integral in, in getting us ready to be there and to build a life, filling out paperwork, painting walls, moving furniture, arranging all kinds of logistics and a home in order for us to come and be with you. We are immensely grateful and thank you for your help. Here on our end, life has looked similar in a lot of ways. We've been packing, filling out paperwork, and saying goodbye. Speaking of packing, actually, I should probably pack some more boxes. Will you come with me? We've been doing a lot of packing, which I'm sure you can imagine. Have you ever noticed that when you're packing to move, inevitably there comes this moment when you look around and you think, where did all this stuff come from? That's been happening to us lately. Now, mind you, you should know that as our family has grown, we have worked pretty hard in the last few years to uh, continue to move things out of our life so that we didn't get deluged by them. And yet somehow, I think no matter how much stuff you have, when you're moving, there comes this moment where you look around and you think, where did all this stuff come from, right? And as I've been packing, uh, I'm a pastor, right? And so I've been reflecting on what all of this means. And I've also noticed that when you're packing, the hard work isn't just 
figuring out what to put in boxes and how to arrange those boxes. The hard work of packing is actually uh, saying goodbye. When you pack, you realize that so much of your life is not the things that you've owned, but all the stories and memories that happened while you lived in a place. So in a lot of ways, packing is, is about closing a chapter of your life. And for us, we've been doing the work as of late to close the chapter of what our life here has been like. But you know, the truth is that we are the only ones who are making sense of things that we've lost, are we? No, as a culture right now, all of us have been trying to make sense of that. The thing about this pandemic is that everybody's lost something. For some of us, the losses are easy to see. We lost a job. We lost a business. We're 200,000 people lost loved ones in this country alone to COVID-19. But there's other kinds of losses too. For some of us, it was just the lost opportunity to gather with the kids, the grandkids, or the grandparents every week. It was the lost opportunity to be part of each other's lives for big events, for birthdays and baby showers. And the thing about loss is that it's really hard to deal with, and it can be hard to know where to put it. In truth, the people who write about grief would say that many times, as humans, because loss is so painful, we really don't know what to do with it at all. And so what winds up happening is that we take the things that we've lost, the griefs that we've had, and we, we tuck them away inside of ourselves. We stick them in the closets and the corners of the rooms of our lives. But life being what it is, inevitably the day comes along where all of a sudden you look around the room and you realize, where did all of this come from? And it can be overwhelming to know what to do with all of it, or even how to get yourself through the room. But I'm also realizing and remembering that for us as Christians, the past and looking at the past is really important. In the world around us, people say hindsight is 2020, and I think that's true. But for Christians, it's more than that, isn't it? For Christians, the past is important to look at for a very specific reason. Because when we look at the past, the Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes to see God. God can be really hard to recognize in the present. But when we look back, that is are often the ways when we can see how God has been with us most clearly. And so we look back over a circumstance and in... In, uh, in the light of the Holy Spirit, we see that God arranged a set of circumstances in just such a way that made it possible for us to be provided for, and we didn't even know at the time. And the more that we look back to see how God has been present with us, the more it helps us to be able to have trained eyes to see how God might be with us in the present because the truth is that the present can be a very confusing and very painful place. But it also does something else. The more that we look back to see how God has been with us, the more hope that we have for what the future can be. And so uh, as we 
pack our boxes. And as I say goodbye and close a chapter of what our life has been here, I've been noticing that God has opened my eyes to see how he's been with us in our time in the last six years here. And what that is doing is also giving me hope for what the future with all of you at Pleasant Street can be. And as I look ahead, I'm reminded that one of the first things that we're going to get to do together as a pastor in a church is to celebrate Advent. Advent, in case you don't know, is, is the season that comes leading up to Christmas. But Advent is not really about getting ready for Christmas Day. Advent is about getting ready for God's coming future. You see, Advent is about living in a world that is full of pain and suffering and is very confusing. And in that world, having eyes that are trained to look through the pain and suffering, to see the light of God's coming future, which is breaking in towards us like the dawn of a new day. Advent is about longing for the day when God will come back in glory and wipe every tear from every eye and set all things right and justice and mercy will kiss for the whole world like they did for us on the day that Jesus died and was resurrected. And so for Christians, looking back becomes a really important way to be ready for God's coming future. And so for me, as I close out the chapter of our time here and as we close up the boxes, I am already longing and looking forward to what we have together, which is the chance to celebrate Advent and together to train our eyes to see God's coming future, which is already today dawning upon us. And so in the meantime, May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you every day until we get to see you in person. I'm going to close up this box. I'll see you soon. We look forward to Pastor Matthew coming at the beginning of November and transitioning into full-time ministry here as that month continues. As he said, he's preparing to come. We're preparing to receive him. Just as a reminder, we are doing some updates on the parsonage. There are rooms, and particularly the basement in that church has not been, uh, in that parsonage has not been painted in over 10 years. You, you know what 10 years of not updating your house would do. And so we, we are trying to to get that ready for him, and there's some moving costs, so if you can give towards that endeavor, we would really appreciate your help in preparing that place for him and his family. Let's quiet our hearts now before our God. God, you are good, and you have brought us here to worship you. Help us to see you and hear from you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Would you rise for our call to worship? Oh, we have some extra bulletins. I understand we had run out. If you need a bulletin, you want to give a little wave, Dave will come around. The God of creation makes us one in body.
Let us join hearts and voices in praise of the Lord. The God of Christ makes us one in the Spirit. Let us join in hearts and voices in praise of the Lord.
You can be seated, please. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone. But how many of us can honestly say that all every day this week, we had believed in Christ as our only true hope? Too often we um, depend on ourselves and believe in ourselves. And too often this past week, we have probably not loved God above all, and we haven't loved our neighbors as we love ourselves. Let's just please join me in this prayer of confession. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. The peace that Christ gives is to guide us in the decisions we make, for it is to this peace that God has called us together into one body. Jesus Christ, light of the world and of all creation, forgive our separation and grant us peace and unity. With his own body, he broke down the walls of separation. By his death on the cross, Christ destroyed our divisions. Jesus Christ, light of the world and of all creation, forgive our separation and grant us peace and unity. Let's continue in silent confession. As we end our time of silent confession, I ask that you keep your eyes closed for a few minutes longer, and I also ask that you put your hands in front of you and palms up in surrender. May we surrender our time, our money, our wills to all that God desires for us and would have us be. And in these next few moments, I'd like to ask you to join me and all of us in, in singing, all to Jesus, I surrender. The words are not on the screen, but hopefully you know them or you can just hum along. And let's surrender our lives to Jesus.
people of God, hear these words of encouragement from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. People of God, all of us together have received God's mercy in Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven, redeemed, and made to be a community united in faith. Thanks be to God. Would you stand and join us in singing? They'll know we are Christians by our love. Christ be with you. As safely as you can, please give each other a warm greeting this morning.
Good morning. I'm John Vriesma, an elder here at Pleasant Street, and I have the blessing of being able to lead us in prayer this morning. As a kid, I used to think of this congregational prayer as the long prayer, a chance to daydream and turn off my brain, so to speak. I hope you don't see it as the long prayer, but as a chance to pray along with me and also speak to God in your minds and your hearts about the things that we bring before God this morning. A warm welcome to all those who are present here, but also to those who are joining us online. Whether here or online, we are worshiping as one body, and we are worshiping the same God. I'd like to share a short passage from John 17 that will tie into our prayer this morning. Jesus is in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, and at one point he prays for himself, and then he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for believers, his church, and he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm always surprised at what Jesus prays for, for believers. Of all the things he could pray for, he prays for unity. Not lots of members, not safety, not an easy life for us, but for unity. It seems to Jesus that that will be the key ingredient in his church growing. And our prayer this morning, as you pray with me, will bring our request to God in a spirit of unity. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the amazing display of color we see outside our windows every day. The brilliantly colored trees, the green grass, the blue sky. Thank you, Lord, that we can enjoy that for a few weeks. You are an amazing creator, God. Lord, we thank you for Matthew Burns accepting our call and that he and his family will join us soon. Bless them as they pack and move across the country. Fill us, Lord, with a spirit of unity and of purpose and vision as we start a new chapter here at Pleasant Street. We thank you for all those who worked hard to clean up the parsonage last weekend and for those who are continuing that work to prepare for the Burns family arrival. Thank you, Lord, for our staff who have worked so hard to keep our ministries and worship afloat over the last two years. We recognize that they have had to take on many roles that are above and beyond their job descriptions. May they also find unity with Pastor Burns and form a great team in this time of transition. Lord, we thank you that programs like Celebrate Recovery and Grief Share, Divorce Care, Bible Studies, Coffee Break, Midweek, and Youth Groups, and so on, can meet in person or online and study your word. In so doing, may they also be brought closer to you and feel the unity of Christ among them. And Lord, we have some folks in our church who need your special healing and comforting presence. We think of Flo Jaritzma, who is recovering from surgery and has had a bumpy road over the last week or so. Just help her to heal, Lord, and may she have good reactions to the medicine that she is now on. We also think of Edie Juritzma, who is also recovering from surgery, and Father, may she also find healing. May she have freedom from pain and be able to move with more agility than she did before. And we think of Becky Smith undergoing chemotherapy. 
Lord, may the treatment reduce her cancer, but may she also have hope and peace from you. Give her energy and encouragement as she goes through this treatment over the next weeks and months. And Lord, just bless her and give her the ability to continue to take care of Jim as well. Lord, we again pray for Rick Fairweather, who is Marlene's cousin in Indiana. And we ask, Lord, that you work a miracle and reduce his brain cancer. We know you can do anything. Lord, heal the perforation in his colon. And Lord, we give thanks for his testimony of faith and how you have worked in his life. Lord, continue to be with the Micucci family as they expect to welcome a new baby into their home in mid-November. Please bless that pregnancy. Keep Emily healthy and give them the assurance of your presence in their lives. Lord, continue to be near the Faber family in the loss of Steve. May they continue to know your peace and love. And Lord, we ask a special blessing on Mark and Lil's son, Joseph. He's going through a tough time. Lord, we ask that you give him wisdom, give him discernment, give him courage. Lord, please shower him with your love in his life. Lord, with the election coming up soon, may we as a country be able to find unity. We ask that you would be a very real presence in this process. May the person who will serve you best be the one who is elected. Lord, we do thank you for the freedom to be able to vote, as well as the blessing to be able to speak your name and read your word freely here without repercussion. And Lord, another way that we can feel one with you and with each other is to support our missionaries who are serving you. Bless them as they have dedicated their lives to building your kingdom around the world. Over the next few weeks, as we make our faith promise pledges, Lord, fill us with generosity so that we can financially support those who have left home, family, and even country to bring your word to the lost. Let them feel our unity with them through the financial support that we pledge and the prayers that we offer. And Lord, for all those who are not with us today for various reasons, Lord, help us and them to still feel united as a church body. Though apart, may we be one in spirit. And finally, we ask for your blessing on Caitlin Gibbons, who will again share your word with us today. Lord, fill her with your spirit. Let us have open ears and hearts that we may listen to you. May we feel that we are one with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been asked to fill in with the reading this morning. And our reading this morning is from Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. And as I open up the Bible, I'm reminded of how the publishers keep making the print smaller. So, excuse me. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing, excuse me, the dividing 
wall of hostility. By setting aside his flesh, the law, with, us, with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his house household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are now being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. A stunning passage we have this morning. May God help me as I preach it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with you again. Um, my name is Caitlin Hogivens. I work at a CRC church plant in East Boston. So if you ever have to go to the airport, I basically live right there, right where the airports, right where the airplanes lane. There's my apartment. Um, so I want to take you into the experience of many of our neighbors in East Boston. It's a community with a high number of immigrants. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment. The unrest of your country is dangerous. You are not safe there. Your family is not safe there. The prospects of survival on either side of the political Fight are low, and so you take the risk of fleeing to a new country. Even though you, you don't know what it's going to be like there, but you, you know you can't stay here, and so you, you go. You don't show up with much. You have a singular desire to survive, for your family to survive. And you have an unseen pile of burdens. You don't know how you're going to find work. You don't know how you're going to find rent. You are concerned for the family back at home that you could not bring. You need to figure out how to apply for temporary protected status or the long process of seeking asylum. And so you do what you can. Sometimes you find help along the way, but you always have the gnawing fear and anxiety of your status and your safety in this new place. This is uh, the reality of many that we serve in East Boston. I talk with a lot of them on the phone. They, they say, Kata, that's my name in Spanish, Kata. I, we cannot continue like this. What I hear in their voices is the constant harassment of anxiety, Many are recovering from COVID and, and, and carry um, 
pain in their bones from it. And they have a fear that ICE will show up at their door while they are waiting for their status to be approved, while everything is delayed because of the pandemic. Division of status impacts us all. And I think our culture really loves to romanticize divisions and the desire to belong. We see it in all of the stories that we tell, right? So you have Ariel, who's a mermaid, who wants legs so that she can frolic and be with her human crush, right? We have countless vampire romance stories that are like, oh, this is so dangerous but beautiful. How will they be able to be together but not kill each other? Right? You have Romeo and Juliet, this family feud. But divisions in status that create community rifts are actually not beautiful. They can be if you're on the, the side with more power, like if you're the ones with legs and, and you're just watching this cute mermaid who wants them. Right? But if you're on the underside, you feel particularly the impact of division. They shape the mental, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual well-being of real people. And it's not just an immigrant experience. It's not just something that I happen to see over in East Boston. Division, pride, unchecked assumptions of superiority because of education, because of where you're from, because of what you look like. It's everywhere. And the destruction is in its wake. In our country right now, we can barely have conversations across political lines, when we don't agree with what kind of coffee we should drink. Some of us feel this tension with our own families. We have conversations where we experience hostility, anger, shame, pain, even tears. We're at a point in our culture where unity feels like something that's only possible within your particular tribe. It's not something that most of us have the strength or the hope or the courage to even desire across divisions. So here in our passage, Paul is writing to this little Ephesian church that is dwarfed by the Tower of Artemis in Ephesus. He's saying Christians, God has a good plan for everything to come together in Christ. And in our passage today, he zooms in even further and he says, what about the deepest divisions of our time? What is God's plan for ethnicity? Follow with me in verse 11, if you will. Paul writes, you Gentiles, you are called the uncircumcised by the, those called the circumcised. And so right at the forefront, Paul calls up this age-old division between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. And they had this history of division in faith and tradition, and he brings it front and center. It's a division that his readers would know about. It's like if I were to say here, those of you who TikTok versus those of you who think it's a questionable practice, right? You would know that I would be talking about the divisions between generations, 
right? Or if I was to bring up right, right now, like, oh, those of you who vote red, those of you who vote blue, you would know that I'm talking about our storied history in our nation across political lines, right? Right here, Paul is bringing ethnic differences front and center. They matter to Paul, the apostle. They matter to the gospel. The Jew and Gentile differences were marked by the Jewish practice of circumcision. It it was a symbol of belonging to the people of God, but pride led the Jewish people instead to be contemptuous instead of being a blessing to the nations. And so what happened is that the adjective, the descriptor, uncircumcised, instead of just being a descriptor, it became an insult. It became a title of disdain. It became not just a reference of a physical state, but something that you say to someone when you have a lot of contempt and hostility towards them. The Jews often saw the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, as barbarians, as outsiders, as a threat to their faith. The Gentiles likewise thought many things about the Jews. They thought they were lazy. They didn't work one day of the week. What was that about? They thought they were godless people. They didn't have idols in their home. They didn't go to the temple to worship their idols. So they're like, who are you? The division between the Jews and Gentiles were usually tense, often hostile, and sometimes bloody. And now the situation in the Ephesians church was, was interesting because there were some circumcised Jews in there who were Christian, like Paul. There were some uncircumcised Gentiles who were in there who were Christian. And so in the past... The unifying marker of the people of God was circumcision. So so the question is like, what do we do now, right? Like, how do we show that we are a team if we are not all doing the same thing? It's like in the movies when you have, there's like kids that are like making solemn vows before each other and they, they like pinprick their fingers and they're like, put the blood on a piece of paper or like wood and they're like, I'm like, I'm really in, like I'm, I'm in, right? So the question is, how do we show our unity if, if we're, not, we're not all doing something that's painful that marks us? What is a marker? What is like the team t-shirt that we wear now as this new church? And the, the early church wrestled with this. I think we still do, not necessarily demanding circumcision, but I think we wrestle with demanding uniformity in our expressions of worship. I think often we can confuse unity with uniformity, and so we have unwritten requirements in our communities, like you have to dress like this, or have this kind of car, or have this kind of reaction. When this happens, this is how you respond in, our, in this place. So there's pressure to assimilate in ways that are not actually relevant to the gospel. And we'll see as we go further in the text that Paul is pointing to a new way for the people of God to be marked as one. It's not circumcision. It's not the same colored t-shirt. It's not a certain way to pray. Paul will point us to a different unifying in the flesh action that does require blood, but it's not a pinprick that we have to do. Look with me in, in verse 12. There's a stark picture that is painted for us. The Gentiles were 
outsiders. They were strangers to this special relationship with God. They were without hope and without God. Ironically, the term in the Greek that's, that means without God, atheo, it's the word that we get um, atheist from. This is a term that the Gentiles used to use for the Jews because the Gentiles would look at Jewish homes and say, like, you don't have a house idol. You don't worship with us. You don't, you are a godless people. And so Paul here flips it. And he says, Gentiles, yes, you, with all your house gods and your temple gods and the colossal temple of Artemis, you were without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Twice emphasized is the means through which it's possible. He says, in Christ Jesus, by the blood of Christ. What that means is that the Gentiles, the outsiders, they were not allowed in because they accepted all the norms of the inside group. They were not allowed in because they, they lost themselves in assimilation to the majority. They were not allowed in because they successfully jumped through the hoops of um, moralism and pr proving their religious awesomeness. That's not why they were allowed in. They were drawn near by the blood of Christ alone. I used to work um, with Greek fraternity and sorority students in uh, universities, and they would tell me the most wild stories of things that they had to do, competitions that they needed to complete, challenges, things they needed to memorize, all of these things that they had to do in order to join their sorority or fraternity, in order to prove themselves worthy of wearing their letters. And while most of us here probably are not thinking about rushing for a sorority, I think we still feel the pressure of performing to belong all of the time. It's, it's where we get the imposter syndrome when we're at a new job, a new place, a a new friend group, and we say, am I smart enough to be here? Am I wealthy enough to be a part of this community? Am I holy enough? Our text today offers a striking picture of full acceptance into the family of God that is not based on your performance, but on the costly back of another, the gory and gruesome and yet stunning picture of sacrificial love, the blood of Christ, is what draws us near. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made the two one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to remember that Paul writes in a time where the Roman Empire proclaimed Pax Romana, right? Peace. Whenever people fell in line with the oppressive authority and hailed 
Caesar, Pax Romana was proclaimed. And so here Paul is directly opposing the governing authority and declaring Jesus himself is our peace. He came in peace. He preached peace. He made peace. Our world right now, I think, is very aware of its chaos and its lack of peace. And so we have many different strategies for peace, right? Like peace will come if we just forget all of our our cultures and just become one. Let's just stop talking about all that stuff. It's confusing. Or peace will come if this person is elected. Or peace will come if this person is elected. Or peace will come if everyone just stopped being so sensitive. And most of the time, these strategies are not aiming at the real, sweeping, shalom peace that brings wholeness to all, which is what Paul is talking about. They aim instead at its shallow, shallow counterpart which is the absence of conflict. It's like there's, we have this abundant feast set out for us with all of the things that you could ever desire, right? There's like roasted meats and roasted vegetables. And well, if it was me, it would be like dumplings and there'd be scallion pancakes. It's like the most tantalizing feast is set out before us. But we, on the way there, we decide, you know what? I, I see a, a leftover thing of, French fries from McDonald's, I'd rather have that. And so we sit on the side of the road and eat that. They're cold. We settle. Church, we settle when it comes for peace. We settle for politeness with placating smiles without revealing our inner hostility for each other. Instead of the peace of Christ where hostility dies where we see our enemies as our brothers. We settle. Church, in a divided world like ours, where are you looking for peace? Where are you settling when the banquet of our dreams awaits, and that is with Christ? The dividing walls of hostility that are broken down in this this passage were not just metaphorical. There was a literal wall. an actual wall that was built that separated Jews from Gentiles in the Jerusalem temple. temple. It had a, a large sign that said, if you're a Gentile and you pass through this, you will die. Our text reads that this dividing wall was destroyed in Jesus's flesh. Now, you can kind of just like keep going and be like, cool, the wall fell. What does it mean that it fell in his flesh? For generations, I want you to bear with me here, but for generations, the Jews had dragged their best animals to the altar to make sacrifices for their sins. So you, you messed up and you, you took another animal. You're dragging your goat because the goat knows what's about to happen, right? And you say, holy God, I've messed up. Would you take this animal in my stead? I deserve death, but take this animal. Can we be in relationship again? And the mercy of God would come. The mercy of God allowed these small sacrifices of you and your goat to be the means by which you, a sinful person, could continue in relationship with a holy God. And yet with every breach of the law, another 
animal was necessary and another one and another one. And these, these sacrifices in themselves could never take the full consequences of sin. That's a lot to ask of a goat. These sacrifices anticipated the need for a perfect sacrifice who exhibited perfect obedience, who didn't need to be dragged, but who said, not my will, but yours, who chose to stretch himself on a cross. And so Jesus offers himself as the sacrifice once and for all, says the writers of Hebrew, Hebrews. His own body is the peace offering through which God's justice was satisfied and his mercy extended so that we are reconciled, brought together with God and with each other. And so, friends, our peace, the peace of the church, the peace of Christians is found, established, and given in abundance in the broken body of Christ. It's on the cross where grace and suffering meet. It's on the cross where our desire to be God over our neighbors, God over our enemies must go. Because as we look at Christ upon a tree, stripped of all of his dignity, hostility itself is killed at the root. This stunning act, stunning, of God stretched out on a cross, his blood dripping down. It leaves no space for our contempt of our enemies. Pride falls on its face. Our contempt crumbles. Humility, adoration come because now we can go before God, the holy of holies, we have full access to God. Adoration comes. There's no space for hostility because his body was broken and torn apart. Now, that which was hostile and hopelessly divided can be made whole. The two can become one. Notice that the text says that the two can come closer together and play nice. It says the two became one. His body was torn so that we could be made whole. Jesus was estranged from God so that we could become part of the family. Yusufu Taraki is a Nigerian theologian who witnessed the evils of divided humanity and tribalism since the 1500s. And he writes this, In Christ, there is no dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, in him, all human differences, hostility, and barriers are resolved. Jesus Christ has a cure for the evils of racism, tribalism, and divided humanity. And so, church, listen, our peace is found in the broken body of Christ. No longer is there self-righteous condemnation or religious point scoring in the family of God. No, the broken body of Christ has done what no other can do, and now we have relationship with God that's marked by an assurance of grace 
Do you you know what a gift that is? Most human relationships do not have an assurance of grace. If you mess up, there will be an assurance of grace for you because I will continue in relationship with you. One of the most beautiful things. Friends, our peace is in the broken and risen body of Christ. And now, now, because of that, we have the power to forgive those who have hurt us and abused us the most. We have the power to reconcile even. The broken body of Christ has brought together that which was insurmountably torn apart. Our peace is in the broken and risen, exalted body of Christ. And now the vict- with victorious hope and soft-hearted humility somehow, both of those, we walk with both of those, we can fight the powers that perpetuate injustice over the long haul. We can seek the welfare of the oppressed while also calling for, hoping for, and praying for the repentance and healing of the oppressor. We can hold both of those because the peace of our Christ is founded in his own broken body. Now, look at the end of our passage in verse, in verse 19. Not only does the work of the cross destroy dividing walls of hostility, but something new is created. There's a reversal of status, so you are no longer you you are no longer separate from Christ. You have full access, right? You are no longer a stranger and a foreigner, always wondering what your status is. You are now a fellow citizen. You're a family member. You have all your inheritance is just like the other kids. You're no longer outside, you're inside. You've been blood bought by Christ's sacrifice. There's life for life has been given. We've been crucified with him and now we rise with him and we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Christ himself is our cornerstone. And then Paul takes this picture of like estranged outsiders coming together and he pieces it together fascinatingly, in an image of a building. Look with me. It says, In him the whole structure of this new building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is not just in any building. It's not like you're just like this little shed that Paul is building. It's a temple. And the temple has always been the sacred place of the presence of God. Even Gentiles knew that in a temple, that's where you go to meet with a deity. And so what is happening is Paul is relocating the sacred presence of God from the physical Jerusalem temple. And he's saying it is now in the mishmashed family of God. Don't miss that. Paul is saying, church, you were brought together to function together as those reconciled to God and each other. And now your togetherness is the location of God's most sacred presence. Your togetherness is how people come to see the face of God. Church, we have a God who forsook his holy privileges and came 
to seek asylum with us. And he wants to find a home with us and not just to cower in like a corner of our basement, our heart basement, but to build us together into a holy temple. Our togetherness is the location of God's most sacred presence. And if that is true, then this means that our salvation is about far more than saving individuals. It's about far more than me feeling good before God and being reconciled in him. It's about something more, much more sweeping than that. It's about this restoration of creation at all levels. This is good news what we have, church. The two do not become one and just lose all of their unique distinctiveness. That's good news. That's good news for me. I think about this a lot as a minority. Like, how am I allowed to be here, or do I just need to do everything like everyone else does here? And I, I bear like a lot of loss in that. What we have in Christ is a oneness that does not sacrifice the beautiful ways that God has created us. We actually become something new and whole together as God pieces us together. Now, the unifying sign of the people of God is not circumcision. It's not an act that we do to show our obedience and our commitment. It's Christ's broken body. It's his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. That is what covers us and characterizes us as the people of God. It's not something I have done, but something Christ has done. Hallelujah. Historically, the church has been very divided. We have held on to symbols of circumcision, and many other things rather than the broken body of Christ. We have set up things that are not of him. And so we have made a mockery of Christ's work on the cross. Lord, have mercy on your church. We, the people of God, this mishmashed family of God, are the location of God's most sacred presence. We get to be part of the vision that we hear about in Revelation, where there's a vast multitude from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That begins now. We are a part of a sweeping movement of God's restoration to which all are welcomed. We have immigrant, we have refugee, we have gentrifier, we have millennials, gen Xers, boomers, TikTokers, right? We have red and blue invited to come before Christ. Church, because Christ is our peace, we the church gets to be a place of restoration, a place of countercultural resistance to a world that lacks compassion and empathy. We get to be a place where God's very spirit dwells. 
And so church, let's be the church. Let's do the daily work of confession and repentance. Let's do that gritty work of forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm not just talking about this theoretically. I mean this week. I mean today. If there are people that you are harboring unforgiveness towards, I am saying, I am pleading with you. I'm saying if you are covered by the blood of Christ, you do not have that right. Forgive. And it, it, it feels costly because it is costly, but if you have been bought by the blood of Christ, we have deep pockets because we have been given all of the expenses of the kingdom and we have a savior who has done that in our place. So friends, if there's someone that you need to forgive, extend the peace of Christ today. Let's be a place where both the oppressed and the oppressor can come and be made new and be made whole together. Let's be peacemakers by the power of God, our peacemaking God. Let me pray for us. God, forgive us for the ways that we have settled for something that is not actually peace. God, draw us again to you. Bring us to our knees before your cross. We ask even now that we would have a, a new and deeper understanding of what it means that in your flesh you broke down these dividing walls. We ask that in beholding you and your sacrificial love, your blood pouring out of your sides and your hands and your feet, God, that the hostility that lies in us would die. God, would you raise up your church for such a time as this to be a place of radical peace, to be a place that looks different than the world, to be a place that desires both justice and mercy, God, we need you. We love you. There's no, no one like you. I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand and join us in our closing number. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord.